Okay, turning your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. We're uh, continuing on with the, our, our series here about being worthy. And last week we talked about Jesus being worthy and the great passage here in the book of Revelation. Today's going to be an entirely different study. Uh, today is actually part one of a part one and two of living a worthy life. And this is the terminology that the Scriptures use that we'll read here today in a couple different texts and also next week in, uh, in our study, this idea of living a worthy life. Now I want to get our minds going on this a little bit because the, the term worthy tends to be a religious term and throws us off a little bit. Is it like, what does that mean? You know? uh, and we talked about last week uh, that uh, you know, worthy means uh, sort of uh, uh, that uh, it's worth it, if you know what I'm saying. And, and looking at this idea of, of living a worthy life, what does it mean to be living a worthy life? To put it in, in really clear, kind of modern day English kind of things, it would be like saying that you're living up to the expectations. You know what I'm saying? You're living up to the expectations. And let's, let's do a little comparison here. By the way, this pulpit uh, uh, is, is leaning this way. Um, did you guys notice that? Uh, you know, you thought I was leaning that way uh, or, or whatever. So we'll, we'll try to get that fixed by next week, but it is leaning. Uh, so I'll be sure to, to preach leaning, you know, or whatever, if you guys noticed. Okay, if I were going to say to you, what does it mean to be a good citizen? What would you say? Pay your taxes. <laughs> okay, well the government certainly would believe that. Pay your taxes. Vote early and often. You vote. Vote early and often. Uh, you know, uh, I guess if you're... I'm sorry? Uh, when you're called for jury duty, uh, uh, go to jury duty. Uh, to the best of your ability to follow the laws of the land. Okay, so we have a pretty good idea. What does it mean to be a good citizen? What would it mean to be, and this is a, certainly in, in, include all my, uh, my teenagers down here. As a matter of fact, let's just leave it to them on this one. Uh, so all the rest of you guys just sit and observe. What does it mean to be a good student? Yes. Huh? To get good grades. Uh, not necessarily, but you can be a good student without making good grades, but, but that, that's a fair comment. Now, some parents may really disagree with that. Oh, my. Oh, oh. I lost your mom and dad on that. Okay, uh, uh, to, be, to get good grades, uh, yeah. To participate in whatever you're doing, whether it be the athletic programs, the music programs, uh, different programs that go on. Yes, ma'am. To be respectful to the teachers. To be respectful to the teachers, obedient to the teachers, working with the teachers. Anything else? Yes, ma'am. To try hard. To try hard. Uh, and I think in a social sense, to sort of learn to get along... Uh, with the other students that are in the school. And in some cases that may be super easy, and in some cases it may be a little bit more uh, difficult. Okay, now, a third uh, uh, sort of analogy here to get your mind going on this living a worthy life thing. Uh, what does it mean to be a good uh, part of a team? Team member. What does it mean to be a good team member? Show <laughs> To show up for the practice sessions or, or the, and or the game. Yes, ma'am? Carry your own weight. Uh, 
to, to do your part or to carry your own way. Yes. Not be a hot dog. Yes. Uh, not, to, to not uh, be a hot dog. Uh, a glory hog. Uh, that, that kind of thing. Any of, uh, any of you USC students or college students there? What does it mean to be part of a good team? Yes. Although you're not still a college student, but you look like a college student still. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry? Have good communication between the uh, coaching staff and the uh, athletic, uh, or the, the athletes, yes. Be teachable, coachable. Yeah. Being supportive, cheering each other on. Okay, being supportive. Yeah, I mean, everyone can't be on the field maybe at the same time, and, and, and you're working with everybody else. So we, we understand pretty well what it means. What, what does it mean to be a good citizen? What does it mean to be a good student? What does it mean to be a good uh, athletic team member? Those things sort of work in our mind. But isn't it interesting, the idea of what does it mean to be a good Christian, sometimes we're a little bit more in, in the gray on that. Yeah. We're a little bit, well, I don't know. It sort of means something different to everybody. Would be you know, what some people might say. Now, how would that apply if we said, what does it mean to be a good citizen? And, and the answer was, well, it means something different for everybody. We'd say, no, 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 it doesn't. You pay your taxes. You obey the laws. I mean, there's more concrete kind of things that we can come up with in that sense. And in a spiritual realm, we we sort of leave it out in the gray somewhere. I don't know what it means to be a good Christian. Uh, You know, you go hug a tree. uh, Or, you know, whatever the case may be. And it seems to be a little bit more out there on this kind of thing. Hopefully today, what we're going to study, I can bring some of this down into a landing zone for us about what does it mean. Now look back, uh, first of all, to Philippians 1. We're going to actually spend most of our time in Ephesians 4 there. But in Philippians 1 and in Ephesians 4, and actually next week in Colossians 1, Paul uses, as he writes to these churches, the same terminology, live a life worthy. But in Philippians chapter 1, in verse 21, the, the discussion here that Paul is having with them is, I'm not sure whether it's better to die and go and be with the Lord in heaven or to be here with you guys and help you out. And so he says in verse 21, For me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain in the body and will continue with all of you for all your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. So he's, he's sort of having this debate in his own mind of, man, would it be better just to go ahead and die and go to heaven or to stay there and be with them and to help them out and to enjoy their relationship with them. Then in verse 27, he goes on. He says, whatever happens... In other words, whether I'm alive or whether I've died, whether I'm still living or I've been executed for my faith in this prison that I'm in, he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a matter, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those 
who oppose you. So he brings up this idea to them saying, I want you guys, he says, I, I know I'm going through this debate in my mind of whether I should we be better off to, to, to die and go to heaven or to stay here and, and help all you guys. But you guys are going to stay here, I'm pretty sure of that. And I want you to make sure that you live a life worthy. He uses that very terminology. Now look back to Ephesians 4. We're going to see the exact same terminology that, that, uh, that he uses with now the church in Ephesus. In chapter 4, verse 1. As a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So this is something he says on a regular basis. It's imperative that we understand in a practical way what does that mean in my life. And I think what we're going to see here, we're going to look at the next few verses here. We're going to go through verse 17 today. And we're going to see that he basically is talking about the collective relationships that Christians have with each other when he's talking about this living a life worthy. Now he also gets on, and we're going to talk more about that next week, about some of the individual things that, that people need to be doing in their own life. But he focuses very much on this idea of what we're doing together. Let's read this together and we'll come back and talk about it. So he says in verse 1, the, uh, the worthy of this calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But to each of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, and he quotes this passage from the Old Testament, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. And notice verse 9 is in parentheses here, so he's making a comment about the passage he just made. He says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Then he says, he comes back to his thought here that, it, that, that he was commenting on from this passage from the Psalms. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Him who is the head that is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love, as each part does its work. So he has a number of things to say here in these first few verses of chapter 4 that center around these two main thoughts. And if you're taking notes, these would be the main thoughts of what he's hitting at here in, in this idea of this living this life worthy in our collective relationships. Number one is make every effort to be unified. 
That's a big theme all through here. Make every effort, he says, uh, to, to be unified, to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And then he goes and, and he talks about the second thing here is that you should use your gift not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of others around you. To help mature them. And then, you know, he comes to this conclusion, then we'll, uh, we'll, we'll become mature and we'll be in a better place. And then he ends with this thought of, hey, we're, we're, we're like a body, we're held together by the supporting ligaments, and that everybody is a part of the body, and that, that the body holds together because the ligaments hold it together. In other words, we hold the body together by performing the functions that we need to uh, perform in, in this regard. Now let's go back and let's set the scene here, because he starts out with some very fundamental things that are necessary in our life if we're going to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Have you ever been on a team or been in a situation where it was it was a good team, a good uh, a good uh, uh, a company or something, but everything worked? I mean, it was cranking. We've all had that experience where, where we've been, and, and it's awesome, right? Everybody likes to be on a team like that. Everyone wants to work in an office like that. Everyone wants to go to a school like that where it works, and, and there's a, a just a smoothness about how it happens. Contrast that with we've probably all also been on a team in a situation at work or in a situation at school where it clearly wasn't working. Right? As wonderful as it is, when it's happening good, it's equally as awful when it's not, right? And he starts off with saying, if you're going to be part of the solution, here are some key things that must be happening in your life. Be completely humble. Now he could have said, be humble. Adding in the word completely indicates what? He's not saying you need to stab at this. He's saying you're going to have to really focus on this. You're going to have to try your best to be humble. Now if I had a show of hands, how many of you here today think you're prideful? I didn't ask for a show of hands. (laughs) And those of you who didn't raise your hand, you're really in trouble. prideful and we know we're difficult at times we know that we are hard to deal with at times now some of us more than others and how prideful a person is is always an interesting discussion that it never really has a good conclusion if you know what I mean it's better for all of us just to make a recognition yeah I can be a prideful person sometimes and I can be difficult and so you know, if you think of yourself as a person who from time to time struggles with pride, it shouldn't shock you that from time to time you have relationship problems. Most of the time, we get along with people if they're humble with us. And if they're prideful with us, we generally speaking have a problem with the relationship with that person. 
Because we're like, you know, they always think they're right on everything. Yeah. You know, I, I, I kid with my wife. You know, uh, uh, married people do stuff like that. Those of you who are single, uh, you know, if, if you ever uh, you know, are married, you'll certainly know this in your marriage. I've never known a marriage where the husband didn't think his wife was prideful. <laughs> and, and the wife didn't think her husband was prideful. And, and it just seems to be a given. Uh, along the way. Now, we do have some honeymooners back there. You know, you may not have been married long enough to figure that out, uh, but uh, trust me, it's coming. <laughs> it's going to hit you like a hammer, man. Uh, you know, uh, but, but, but you come along. You know, we've got to try. Be completely humble. Got to really make an effort here. And gentle. Now, for some of us, we're more gentle in nature. For some of us, we are more angry in nature or violent in nature or... You know what I'm saying? Gentleness is actually a fruit of the Spirit according to Galatians 5.22 and following. Gentleness is the result of God living in you. So we're, we're, he says if you're even going to be part of the solution at all, you're going to have to really go after being... Completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Be patient. Bearing with one another in love. Bearing with one another in love. People are hard to deal with. People will hurt you. We've all been hurt by people. Maybe your parents, maybe your siblings, maybe coaches or teachers or friends or, or people you didn't even know. Uh, I mean, people can do some of the most incredibly uh, unkind and vicious, uncaring things and say things and imply things that are hurtful. We, got, we have to learn to bear with one another in love, being patient with each other. Teenagers, you've got to bear with your parents. Why, why do your parents ride you all the time about schoolwork? Well, probably because you're lazy and not doing it. But because they want what's best for you in life. They want you to be successful. And they fear that you won't. And sometimes there's a direct correlation between how much they fear and how much they are on your back. Teenagers, sometimes you have to bear with your parents. They, they, at the end of the day, they want what's best for you. They're not really torturing you because they enjoy torturing you. They do want what's best for you. Parents, bear with your teenagers. They're teenagers. Their, their hormones are way ahead of their ability to understand their life. And every once in a while, they go, you know, they just go off. They, they don't even know what they said. By the way, they acted. They're sloppy and dirty. <laughs> Sometimes the best thing to help them with, with, with learning how to keep their room clean is to shut the door and leave it alone. And sooner or later they'll figure out they're out of underwear and it's time to do the, the laundry. Oh, wow. I thought it just magically appeared back in the drawer. Bearing with one another, being patient with one another. Make every effort. 
to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why would the Scriptures teach us and tell us to make every effort in this regard? It's because it takes effort. We have a very united church here today. To God be the glory. But also to the glory of all of us. Somehow we've tried hard enough to bear with each other and to accept each other and be patient with one another. And we have a great spirit of unity. That's not a given. I've been in the church. Many of you have been in church. You've been in church long enough. You've seen the church at times where the church is at each other. Then you have times when the church is in a relatively good place and a time of peace. We have to make every effort in this regard. You know, it is somewhat of a popular thought in the world sometimes. You know, I want to be a Christian, but I don't want to be part of the church. This passage, just the very text of this passage, would indicate that you can't be living a faithful Christian life if you're not having faithful relationships with other Christians. The two go together. You, you can't be one without being involved in the other. Look at this. He says He's emphasizing the oneness of the church. He has seven ones. There's one body. One Spirit. Just your call. The one hope and you're called. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God and Father of all. Who is over all, through all, and in all. So there's a tremendous effort here and, and focus on keeping the church united. Now let me suggest to you that there's somebody in this room that you have a struggle with. There's somebody in this room that you don't have as good a relationship with as you know you might need to have or should have. You've got an edge. You've got an attitude. You've got feelings that are unresolved towards somebody in this room. Now, if what I've just said fits you, you need to realize there's something that you need to make every effort in here. That needs to be fixed. Now, how it's going to be fixed is a complicated problem. And it may take a lot of wisdom. And it may take some time. But it's got to register in your mind, it is not okay. It is not within the norm. It is not in the right that we have unresolved relationships with each other. Because we are to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Now, he's going to pivot now in, in what he's saying. He says, I'm talking about the one, 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 one and our relationship with each other and the individual qualities we need to have in our life that we all need to have these qualities. Now he's going to say that the church is really going to function the way it needs to. We have to realize that we are different while we are all the same. We're all the same in that we're in the same body. We're, in, we're one. But now he's going to talk about how we are different and how the differences are actually necessary to make the thing really work. You understand what I'm saying? And what he does here? Because notice what he says. He says uh, in the beginning of verse 7, but, change of thought, but to each of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. we got Christmas coming up. We all know what it means to have a Christmas gift. We all know what it means to give and take gifts, right? Yep. 
to, to each other. And he goes on, he talks about now that we are all gifted. Every single person in the body of Christ is gifted. I am, you are. One of the lifelong goals of our life needs to be to figure out what are my gifts? What am I really good at? Some people are good at some things and some people are better at other things, right? Nobody is good at everything. I know it's football season, so it's an easy analogy. The quarterback does not necessarily have the same gifts as a lineman. Generally speaking, a lineman is not really a good passer of the football. Generally speaking, a quarterback had better be. Because that better be a gift that he has, if you understand what I'm saying. You follow me? Yeah. And, and, and we could extend that on, all the way through, couldn't we? You know, somebody on the team has a gift of kicking a field goal. And you've got to admit that that's a, that, that's a gift. Uh, because, you know, most of us know that we couldn't or, or shouldn't uh, be, 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 be the one, okay, the game is on the line and there's 65,000 people in the stands screaming and you shouldn't be kicking that field goal, right? I know I shouldn't. And, and that's okay because all of us aren't gifted in that way. Whoever's doing it, prayerfully, they are gifted and, and they will have a success, uh, if you know what I'm saying. But everybody's gifted in a different way. This is a lifelong search. But you and I need to understand, yes, I am gifted. It's okay to say that. You say, well, that sounds prideful to me. You can't ever learn to express your gift if you haven't identified it. It's okay to say, I'm good at this. And you don't always have to throw in the disclaimer, and to God be the glory. Amen. Amen. Let's just, let's just go with the assumption that God's getting the glory, okay? So, so we don't have to say that every time we say it. You know, just make sure we covered our base uh, and, not, and not being arrogant. What are you gifted at? Now, he talks about several things here. This is not an, uh, uh, an exhaustive list of gifts. It's just things that he talks about. He says, it was he who gave some to be apostles. Some people had that gift. It had that time. They, they lived in that time. Some, some things might even be time sensitive in a, in a gift, if you know what I'm saying. It was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service. So he lists out a number of different things here, of different kind of gifts. Now these are gifts that are gifts, primarily gifts in leading the church. But gifts can run the range of gifts. He doesn't mention here a person that's gifted in song. I got to tell you, when I hear our singers, Peter, I think is gifted. Yeah. Carlos is gifted. Yeah. I don't think there's any question about it. Uh, uh, Bobby, Bonnie are gifted. Right. I hope I'm not leaving anybody out. You know, all you singers are gifted. You know, if I. <laughs> And even within the range of music, different people are gifted at different things. I think Larry sings the old time church hymns. Fan. 
fantastically. And I got to tell you, I'm all for the new music and all the jazz and all that kind of thing. Every once in a while, I just like, holy, holy, holy. You know, I mean, just, just give me a hymn every once in a while, and I'm pretty sure I want Larry to lead it. Now, Peter's good at that too. Don't want to offend Peter. Where's Peter? You know. Peter's offended now. I, 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 I left him out. And so, I mean, within all, within the range, but you've got to ask yourself, what is your gift, and are you doing anything? You say, well, I'm here at church today. Ah, that's not a gift. That's a responsibility. And you know what? Sometimes a gift and a responsibility are both. The Bible talks about those being gifted with money in Romans chapter 12. So if you're gifted with money, you have a lot of money. That's awesome. But what if you don't have any money? You're on the poor side of life. Well, we all have the responsibility to give. If you're poor in the audience today, by the way, James said if you're poor, you're really rich. So don't go feeling sorry for yourself is what James is saying. And if you are rich, don't be prideful because what you've got, you can get, you know, you can lose. And then, then you'll be in a mess, right? But... If you're poor here today, and, and we talk about giving, you're not, you, you, you should never ever say. Your response should be, well, that's for the rich people. That's for somebody else. No, giving is giving from all of us. And we give a portion of what God has blessed us with. Now, in some cases, if, if, if God gave you a, a not a big portion, then it's easier to figure out that you're not giving a big portion. If you understand what I'm saying. But our gift should be proportional to what God has given us in the area of giving. So we have a gift that is also a responsibility. But what is your gift is an an extremely important thing for you to be able to identify. If you don't ever identify how you're gifted, you're never going to use that gift. Now let's just take a very easy one. Barbara, a few uh, Barbara Rivera, a few weeks ago or months ago, maybe now, decided, you know what? Uh, we need to get people to come to church a little bit earlier, and so I'm going to make coffee, and I'm going to uh, uh, maybe even have some pastry uh, uh, available or whatever. Uh, uh, but I- I'm going to get there early. I'm going to make coffee, and, and so and, and w- this is all under the effort to try to get people, you, me, to get to church a little earlier than you know, ten oh five. If you know what I'm saying. Barbara told me the other day, and we weren't talking about it in the context of the lesson, she says, you know, I've always felt all my life that I like to do things for people. That's a gift. Some of you have never had that thought in your life. (laughs) It's a gift. She likes to do it. She likes to serve in, in, a, in a sense of making coffee and, and bringing that kind of thing. You know what? Does, does Barbara's coffee really make us a great church? No. But you know, does Barbara's coffee make us a better church? Are we a better church or a worse church? Because Barbara comes early and makes coffee. I say we're a better church. Now, and see, this is how this ties in. Look at the last thing he says down there at the end of verse 17. Or verse 16. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting limit grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. 
you are gifted. I am gifted. God has gifted us. What are you doing? See, I think for some people, they feel like, well, I came to church. I, I got up. I got my kids up. I made them breakfast. I, I got them dressed. And, and, and we draw in and we're here. Hey, awesome. It is awesome. I'm glad you did that. That was the right thing to do. But that's not necessarily a gift that you're expressing, that you enjoy expressing, that's part of who you are. Many of you have served in the kids' kingdom. I think that's fantastic. You've taught the children. Some of you never have. Man, why not? <coughs> Wouldn't it be good for you to teach the children sometime? You know, Jesus said, bring the children to me. I like the kids. So our kids bug me. I, I, I. You know what? Try to be a little bit more like Jesus. <laughs> Jesus actually enjoyed the children. And does that mean the kids are always awesome and, and wonderful and easy to do with? No, kids are sometimes a pain in the neck. We all know that. And sometimes they are in kids' kingdom too. But you know what? There's ways there, I mean, to serve and be a part of, of a solution, not part of the problem. That is one of the things I remember from growing up. I don't remember who said it. It was my mother, my father, my coach, my, my teacher, my, my somebody. Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. You say, okay, my family group is not functioning well. Be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Well, the singles ministry is not as good as it needs to be. Then be a part of the solution, not part of the problem. Well, we don't ever do anything. Then plan something. Well, I'm afraid no one will come. Maybe it's because you didn't come when someone else planned something. Some things are wonderful. Some things are just work. I'm just being dead honest with you. I, I, I've been a Christian a long time. Some things are just work. Some things are not, oh, I'm so excited to go! I tell you, yesterday I was so excited because the first two weeks of college football, I, I, the first one I was out of town, the second one I had uh, church leadership meetings all day, and I didn't get a whole time. Yesterday I got up at 7.30 to watch game day. Man, I was fired up. And I planted myself right there and watched game day, and they gave their analysis and everything. I did. That was fun. <laughs> Didn't really have anything to do with building the church. I was just enjoying myself. But you know what? Some things, I mean, with church are fun. Some things are not. Some things are just responsibility. It's adult responsibility. It's part of being an adult, not being a kid. You know, kids, we give kids a pass on things sometimes. Well, that's a kid. They're kids. Eh, that's not that big a deal. They're kids. You know what? I'm 59. Unless I'm in a room with 90 year olds, I'm not a kid. <laughs> if I go to the senior citizen, they say, hey, look at the young guy over there. <laughs> What's he doing here? He's just a kid. But no, nobody, nobody really says that to me anymore. I, I, can't, I can't act like a kid. I'm an adult. And isn't that what he talks about? He, he says, then, he says, he says, then we can become mature. 
We can actually grow up. We can quit being a kid and actually be an adult. And one of the ways we do that in verse 15, he says, by speaking the truth in love. Guys, it doesn't give me any great joy to say things to you as a church sometimes that I know are cutting and hurtful. But if they're things that are true, and if I'm doing the best to say them in love, to try to persuade us all to be the kind of people we need to be, we're not ever going to reach maturity. We're never going to get to the next level if we don't have somebody speaking the truth in love to us. I need people speaking the truth in love to me. You need people, including me, speaking the truth in love to you so that we can grow up. So that we can become mature in attaining the fullness of Christ. This all fits in the category, guys, of living a worthy life. And I really tried to break it down for two things for you to remember. What does it mean in our context of our lessons today to live a worthy life? It means to make every effort to be unified. You have to be able to walk out of here with a real good capture of that. What does it mean in my mind? What does it mean in real life? Well, it means I need to make every effort to be unified with my brothers and sisters in Christ. Okay? And secondly, that I need to use the gift and the gifts, whatever God has blessed us with, and figuring that out, I need to use the blessings that God has given me to bring about maturity and growth in the body of Christ or in the church. So I hope our study has been effective in, in that way for you. You can walk away with some real meat and potatoes here today. Some very clear things. Okay, what do I need to do? Now next week we're going to have sort of part two of this. We're going to look at Colossians 1. And we're also going to continue on in chapter 4 with verse 17 and go and look at some of the things that he says here as, as he continued on and he talked about that uh, uh, in, in the context of what we read about this morning. Brothers and sisters, I love you. Great to see you. Have a great day.